The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. For the month of March on The Compliance Life, I visit with Rob Chesna. Rob was most recently the Chief Compliance Officer at Airbnb. Rob has had a long and distinguished legal career, starting out with the U.S. Attorney's Office, then moving across the country to join eBay in the 1990s. He worked on in Silicon Valley for the next 20 years or so. In 2016, he moved to Airbnb as their general counsel and later moved to take over the role or take on the role of the chief ethics officer. He also wrote the best-selling book, Intentional Integrity. It's a really fascinating podcast series. Rob has a unique journey, as do all chief compliance officers. I know you will enjoy this series, and more importantly, you will learn a lot about uh, being an in-house lawyer, a chief compliance officer, and a chief ethics officer. Plan to join us over the month of March for The Compliance Life. These podcasts post each Tuesday at 2 p.m. In this concluding fourth episode, we take a look at Rob's book, Intentional Integrity, where he sees compliance heading in 2025 and beyond, what disciplines are needed in a corporate compliance function, and what's next for Rob. In a special bonus question, he talks about playing basketball at his age with his teenage son. I know you'll love it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again for our concluding episode in this series of The Compliance Life with Rob Chestnut. Rob, first of all, welcome back. Good to be back, Tom. Thanks for having me. Rob, you uh, have recently, I promise not recently now, but in the past year have released your book, Intentional Integrity. I was wondering if you could tell us what led you to write this and what's been the response? Well, I never thought I'd write a book, to be honest with you. I uh, was doing the work on Airbnb's integrity program. And what what I was learning, quite to my surprise, was that um, the things that we were doing at Airbnb around integrity were different than what other places had, had done. And they were touching people uh, in, in a real way at the company. And, and integrity became something that was actually part of the conversation uh, of employees at Airbnb. And, you know, it was so funny. Brian looked at me one day and said, I didn't think it was possible, Rob. He said, you've actually made ethics cool. And uh, which is, a, a, you know, unfortunately, is, it, it, is a, it is something that is a little different. And my, my wife was in the publishing industry early in her career. You know, she's a venture capitalist now. But, you know, and, and she looked at me and said, other companies need to be doing this. It's, it's not expensive. Uh, it's actually uh, a really smart business, and it's good for the world. You got to tell other people about this. You got to write a book. And I'm like, oh, honey, I don't have time to write a book. I'm a general counsel. Uh, I'm busy. I don't have enough time as it is. And she says, "You got to do this." I said, "I'm not going to do it." She said, "I'll get you a writer, 
and I'll get you a major publisher if you'll write this book. And I said, honey, you get me a writer and a major publisher, I'll write the book. And that was my mistake, because, of course, a month later, I had a writer and a major publisher with Macmillan and St. Martin's Press. So um, I said, all right, I'll do this. So I I, uh, started working with the writer, who also, by the way, wrote Meg Whitman's book. And I had first met the writer that way. And uh, I said, we'll do this every Monday night. So every Monday night at 6 o'clock, I would meet with the writer, and we would spend three hours together or four hours or five hours or whatever it took. Uh, on Monday nights. We spent 18 months of Monday nights together. And uh, I would read what she did uh, on the weekends. Uh, We'd talk about it on Monday nights, and then she would write all week. And, you know, the result was, you know, the book Intentional Integrity. Uh, And, you know, by the time I was done with it, I was uh, really uh, taken with this whole idea of uh, driving integrity into the culture of companies. It, it's something that not many people talk about. Uh, but I think it, uh, it it's so important in today's world, Tom. And uh, the, the book is really, uh, I've been, been so, uh, you know, so gratified with, with the response I've gotten to the book. It was, you know, Inc. Magazine just named it one of the top 10 business books of the year. Right. Uh, and and I, I do, you know, these talks, uh, and meetings with companies and people hold up their dog-eared copies of the book. You know, I think folks expect a book about integrity to be, you know, have a lot of, you know, Plato and Socrates. Uh, and everybody, I think, is shocked that it's actually uh, got humor. And it's a, more of a workbook. It's more of, you know, if you've, got, uh, if you've got a company or an organization and you want to drive integrity into the culture, here's a practical approach and, and uh, an easy way to do it almost step by step. So I think people are finding it to be a very useful book to be able to put to work uh, in whatever organization that they're operating in. Could I be so bold as to say this sounds like to me a discussion in a dorm room about the UVA honor code brought forward in 2021? It, it has roots there. No doubt, but you know, look, it has roots that go back to my mom. You know, my mom was, uh, uh, grew up in the South and had a very strong sense of right and wrong. And uh, you know, I, I've got a couple of stories about my mom in the book. Uh, so it, it starts there, and, it, and again, it weaves through, um, you know, again, a career uh, as a prosecutor, uh, a career as a rules guy at eBay, uh, and a general counsel. I, I think it's, you know, if there's a, my, my career's been all over the map, but if there's a constant theme, I think it's about um, the, how do you, how do you build an infrastructure of rules that encourage integrity and inc- actually encourage a- an ecosystem that builds trust among strangers? Uh, and because I think when trust is the ultimate currency, it, it underlies human interaction. And there are two ways to build trust, according to you know all the data and surveys. Uh, one is competence. In other words, if I believe that you're capable, I'll trust you. And the second is integrity. If I believe that you are well-intentioned and have integrity, that builds trust as well. Trust, uh, actually, integrity is three times as powerful a builder of trust as competence. So if we actually get people to think about integrity and weave it into their own life and into their organizations, we're going to increase trust and that trust is, I think, at the heart of human interaction. And that's the way we get things done in the world. 
Rob, let me change the focus a little, just a little bit to ask you where you see the corporate compliance function going in into 2025 or even beyond. Uh, the world's changing. Uh, again, you know, the, in the old days, all people cared about was, is the stock price going up? We're in a, a world today, it's called stakeholder principles. You know, the business roundtable has adopted these. The world is ready for these. The world is tired of uh, an exclusive focus on shareholders. The world wants companies to do the right thing. It wants companies that have a purpose, that are doing good for the world, uh, not just doing good for the, the, you know, the wallets of their shareholders, but doing good by their employees, you know, doing good by the communities that they, they operate in. You know, and I think climate change is a powerful force that's, uh, that's playing here as well. So I think what we're going to see is that leaders and companies that don't adapt, leaders and companies that still are thinking about things the old way, uh, are going to be beset with you know, brand damage and compliance problems. Companies that uh, are good at understanding this fundamental need for doing good in the world and operating with integrity are going to uh, shift the way they do business. And what we see actually is that companies that operate with integrity, uh, according to the neutral standards, actually outperform the market and outperform their competitors because employees want to be part of these types of companies and customers want to support those types of companies. You know, we, we live in an age of conscious consumerism where consumers want to spend money with companies whose values are aligned with their own. So compliance is going to be a critical part of all this. Um, but not just compliance in the old way of thinking about compliance with uh, checking a box and ensuring that a rule is done, but compliance in a new way where um, people are encouraged to, to think about doing things with integrity and doing things the right way so that compliance becomes less of a struggle and a box checking exercise, but more of a, a culture and a, a, something that's woven into the fabric of the way that you think about all of your problems inside of an organization. Rob, in an earlier podcast, uh, you talked about the fraud prevention team that you uh, built out at um, eBay. And I asked you about some of the different types of corporate disciplines that you brought to bear uh, to build that program out. And I wanted to maybe use that as a lead into uh, where do you see the corporate compliance function in terms of what types of corporate disciplines they need going forward? Well, I think, you know, you need people, you need different disciplines working together. Like we didn't solve fraud on eBay with one discipline. We solved it with engineering, legal, uh, the business unit, uh, you know, product uh, and uh, modeling statisticians and customer support all working together, um, bound together, I think, by a common mission uh, to solve the problems. And you, you need that in my mind, in order to effectively solve a lot of the complex problems that the businesses face today. So could I maybe end with, uh, I have a couple of questions left, but one of them is what's next for Rob? That's a great question. You know, I, I've, I love talking about the concepts in the book. Uh, I've found that it resonates with a lot of people and I'm, I'm actually, you know, spending a lot of my time now working with companies that are coming to me and saying, you know what, we, we think you're right. We think the world is evolving toward this 
uh, this notion of the need, uh, companies operating with integrity help us get there, help us think about how do we drive integrity into the culture of our company. And I, and I love working with companies and leaders that want to do that sort of thing. And I, I think that's where uh, I'm going to spend a, a lot of my time. I, I'm, I'm very concerned about climate change, and I want uh, to encourage companies to be thinking about what sort of an impact they're having on the world around them, not just focusing on uh, solely on you know, the, uh, the, the money-making aspect of things. You know, I, I look at a company like Etsy. Etsy uh, now notes in checkout that they uh, are uh, their transactions. The company finances making their the, the, the shipping and everything around their transactions uh, carbon neutral. And you know, it costs them money to do this. But what they found is that it resonates so much with their customers that after they noted this in checkout, their overall business went up significantly to the point where it's actually more financially profitable for them to act this way. So that's the sort of thinking I want to encourage. And now I have a question that I've never had the opportunity to ask anyone because you actually have this in your resume, that one of the things you enjoy is playing basketball with your teenage son. Uh, I happen to know how old you are because when you went to college and uh, all I will say is uh, I am at or near that age and I cannot play basketball with anyone because I can't move. How do you play basketball with a teenager and uh, not injuring yourself any worse? <laughs> it's getting tougher. I'll tell you, my son, uh, my son's already wearing size 13 shoes and he's 14 years old. Uh, but the good news for me is I've got, uh, I've still got two inches and 20 pounds on him uh, and about 45 years of experience. So uh, that right now is, is uh, barely keeping me ahead of him. But I, I think it's, uh, uh, things are going in the wrong direction. Uh, and, and I think I, he may pass me in the next year or two. Well, that's going to be an interesting journey uh, for you, Rob. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to visit with me on this podcast series, and I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks for having me, Tom. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week, another episode with Scott Sullivan in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>